we're in an intro series on the gifts of the Spirit, but for the series I'm laying down a basic foundation upon which we can grow as a church in spiritual gifts. The, uh, the Empower Retreat is where you can learn how to begin your journey into the use of these gifts. So the theme verse we've chosen for this series is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and let's read it together. All right, here we go. Now about spiritual gifts, brothers... I do not want you to be ignorant. Not only does God say that he does not want us to be ignorant about spiritual gifts, he also says that we are to eagerly desire spiritual gifts. Take a look at the next verse on your screen. Following the way of love and, or follow the way of love and, say it with me, eagerly desire spiritual gifts. So not only are we not to be ignorant of them, we're actually supposed to, you know, on the negative side, we're supposed to get on the positive side and eagerly desire them. In week number one, we talked about the purpose for spiritual gifts to build up the church and push back the powers of, what did we say? That's exactly right. Then in week number two, we talked about the gift of healing and that God gives certain uh, people in the body the, the gift of healing or the gifts of healing in certain areas. And we have already been identifying some in our church who when they pray about certain things, it happens more than when others pray for them, all right? And, uh, and then we discovered that God receives glory when he supernaturally heals people. But we also said, sticking with the parameters and the rules, we said that God also can receive glory when he doesn't heal someone, but allows them to go through suffering and gives them his sustaining grace. So that people look at them and say, how can you be like that in the middle of a situation like that? All right? So uh, we we set the balance on that. Because these gifts are so powerful, they can do great damage when in the hands of, the Im- uh, of immature people. We talked about uh, you know, a two-year-old, hold, uh, te- two-year-old holding a, a weapon uh, of, uh, uh, of uh, you know, a powerful weapon. And that would be an immature person uh, holding that kind of weapon. And these spiritual gifts are so powerful that they can do the same kind of damage when uh, they're in the hands of immature people. So... What we did was we laid down some guidelines, some principles, based on what Paul taught us in 1 Corinthians 14, where he gave us principles, as we found out last week, principles of orderliness and principles of testing, in the case of the, uh, of the gifts of prophecy. And then he built rules. He took rules that would, that would fulfill those principles and would apply to that particular church in Corinth. And so he laid out a pattern for us that we should do the same thing. He gave us the principles, and he said, now you need, to, you need to lay out some ground rules that will work for your body at this time in this situation where you are so that the church can move together and not be divided and not go, into, uh, go, uh, go out of boundaries and not cause division and not cause trouble and, and, and uh, some of the problems that have happened in churches because of spiritual gifts. So there's always that aspect. And uh, <clears throat> I was thinking about it this week, and uh, as you know, uh, I like to fly. And the particular plane that I fly, uh, you can fly it within a range of 38 Positive G's to 1.5 negative G's. And as long as you fly, uh, you know, positive G's is when you pull up hard and negative G's is when you go down and your stomach comes up kind of thing. It's always neat to do to somebody. But as long as you keep it within those parameters, 
you can have a pleasant flying experience. But the minute you get outside those parameters, it's not so pleasant. Some of you might relate uh, more toward, uh, you know, to an engine gauge. And, 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 and a gauge might have green, yellow, and red. Green is good, amen? When the needle is in the green, things are good. When it gets in the yellow, it's not so good. And if you run for any length of time in the, in the yellow, you're in big trouble. We all know that, right? And you certainly don't want to get to the red because you're in, in pretty much immediate trouble. And so the idea is to stay in the green. And God has given us a gauge to stay in the green. He's given us a, he's, he's given us a way through his, this manual and uh, a car manual or a, an airplane manual will tell you how you stay within the parameters of the design that that was for. And there are de- there's a design for these spiritual gifts. And God in his manual has shown us how we can stay in the green. And so it's important that we do that. Now, you've done really well, church. Because so far, this is week number four now, we've talked about in the last three weeks, about four of the most controversial gifts, and you still came back. And we've only got one left. And if you make it through this, you're clear sailing. That's not bad. But these gifts are wonderful. They may be controversial, but they're only controversial because people are running them in the yellow and the red. And so they're giving bad press because they're blowing up all the time. And, uh, and as long as we run them in the green, there's good press coming out. And there will be good press coming out. And people will be attracted to the good gifts that a good father gives his children. Uh, because they're necessary for us. So today we're going to discuss the next one, and it's the gift of tongues. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul said, To one there is given through the Spirit, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. Now, before we go any further, let's just pray. Bow for a word of prayer. Put your hands out again, as we have been doing in this series. And let's ask God to just remove any man-made ideas, any prejudices and biases, and replace him with the thoughts from his word by the power of his spirit. Let's do that right now. Let's submit and, and bow to him in this matter. Father, we, we confess that at times we have called these bad things or weird things or strange things. We've been repulsed by them and, or we felt they were optional or, or things that we didn't need. We've had all kinds of ideas and some of them have been biblical and some have been completely man's ideas and sometimes we can't sort out which is which. And so we're asking you by your spirit this morning, we're going to hold loosely to our thoughts and ideas, and we're saying with, by putting our hands out like this in a sign of humility that we're inviting you to take the thoughts and the attitudes uh, that are incorrect and that are man-made. We're inviting you to take them out of our hands and replace them with your thoughts from your word by your spirit. And God, whatever you want to say to us and wherever you want to take us as a church, we submit to you and ask you to take control of our personal lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, what do we mean by the word tongues? In conversation, someone may ask, what is your mother tongue? And what we mean by that is, what language do you speak? Tongues are languages. And some charge that tongues, you know, some charge that tongues are nothing but gibberish. But 
Linguistic experts say that no one has ever gained a basic grasp of even a hundred of the thousands of human languages that are on this, uh, on this planet. Not even a hundred. If you knew somebody that could speak a hundred languages, you would, be, you would know somebody very, very special on this planet. There's very few people that know that. So how could we with any kind of integrity say that when we hear somebody praying in tongues and we go, that is weird. Can you imagine to somebody who, uh, <clears throat> who's living in Africa if they heard somebody praying in low German what that would sound like? <laughs> it even sounds weird to, to some of us. True? So just because it sounds foreign or strange or weird doesn't mean that it isn't a real language. And how could we possibly say with any kind of intellectual integrity when, we, when, when none of us knows probably more than one or two or three languages out of the thousands of languages that it couldn't possibly be one of those. And that doesn't even include the fact that 1 Corinthians 13, 1 says, and I believe it's going to be coming up, if I speak in the tongue, tongues of men and of what? There are other languages besides just human languages, and I wonder how many are there. So we need to be careful on our attitude about that. <clears throat> now, some have argued that this all disappeared after the first century, and as we saw last week, you know, the words of knowledge, prophecy, and... Uh, uh, and tongues, it lists those three in chapter 14. Uh, it says, when that which is perfect has come, that which is imperfect will disappear. And we already discovered last week that it's not talking about the Bible being complete because you can have the Bible and not know everything and understand what God's doing. In fact, in the context, it said when we see him face to face and when we are fully known and we know him fully, that is at his second coming. Amen? So the... So the end or the conclusion of this matter, not just with prophecy, but also with tongues, is this. Tongues are still here. Now, turn to someone next to you and say, I don't know if you knew this, but tongues apparently are still here. (laughs) Some of you are going, really? Paul revealed just how important this gift was to him. In verse 18, he said, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Now, how could this man, who was burdened with so much responsibility, spend more time than anyone else speaking in tongues? You can imagine, often people say this is a prayer language, and it is. Uh, It can be a prayer and worship language. Uh, It certainly is. You can see an intercessor spending countless hours praying in languages or in tongues or spiritual languages. That, that would make more sense. Maybe even a prophetic person who does a lot of praying. But this Paul was an apostle. What was he doing? He was, going, he was traveling far and wide and he was planting churches and he was, he was selecting or appointing elders in every community and training them. He had, a, <clears throat> he had a ministry team that he took with him and he was sending them out constantly on, uh, on missions. 
at, to go and report and take care of matters. And they'd come back and they'd report back. He was corresponding and, and answering correspondence. And he was, he was fixing problems in the church. And he was, uh, I, I mean, he, it's, he says in Second Corinthians, he was in fastings often. Often he didn't sleep. He was hungry many times. He was a very busy, busy man. I mean, he had one of the most busy schedules of all. And yet it says of Paul that Paul says... He said, I pray in tongues more than all of you. He's a busy man. And that's what he says. I wonder why he would say that. Now, in fact, this gift was so important to Paul that he says he wants all of us to speak in tongues. He says, now I want you all to speak in tongues. Now, you may be saying to yourself, now those are just Paul's ideas and opinions. Let me say this. Paul, when he writes in the scriptures, is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And what he was writing was scripture. In other words, what he is writing is, are God's words. They are the words of the Holy Spirit. And so he's not just writing what is his opinion, because he agrees with what God says. He's actually writing what the Holy Spirit thinks, it, or he's writing the Holy Spirit's opinion and what the Holy Spirit thinks is important. So when you read that, I want you to all speak in tongues, what we should be reading is, God is saying to us, He wants it for us. That's how we need to look at it. Not only that, Jesus himself had prophesied that we would have this gift. In Mark 16, he said, And these signs will accompany those who believe in my name. They will drive out demons. And then what's the last part? They will speak in new tongues. Even in the Old Testament gave witness to the fact that this gift would be given. In Isaiah 28 it says, Very well then, with foreign lips and strange tongues, God will speak to this, pe- this people. Now, I-, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, th- that was a convenient little verse you just lifted out of the Old Testament and threw in here just to kind of proof text what you could. But the point of what I'm saying is, Paul actually took this passage and quoted it, put it, inserted it in his argument about tongues in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 21. He just lifted it right there and he said, this is a fulfillment of the prophecy in Old Testament. Now, you have to understand, Old Testament prophecy, and we can't get too far into this, but they would have prophecies for the present and then for the future. It would have meaning in an application for the present and for the future. So it might have an application there that was different than what was going to be later. But one thing, so whatever else that verse may be saying, one thing we can be certain that even in the Old Testament, it was already being written as a prophecy for the New Testament. This whole idea of the gift of tongues is not a surprise to the Almighty. It was his idea. It's not like on Pentecost, he looked down from the portals of heaven and said, what on earth is going on down there? What have they done? I wonder what they're saying. It was his idea. They were surprised. Not God. They had never come up with this idea. So why is it that something many of us find so optional or in some cases even repulsive, Paul, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit want for us? There's three reasons And we'll just touch on them in a moment. We're going to try to answer those reasons in the message. There have been abuses, and we'll address that at the end. 
We've been talking about that through the series too. Number two, there's been some confusion about what the scripture is saying. For example, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul asks the question, are all apostles? It's a rhetorical question and the answer is, the answer is no. Okay. Are all apostles? No. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? Are all administrators? Do all speak in tongues? Ah, no. He says no. First Corinthians chapter 12. He says no, they don't. Oh, okay, so that means I'm one of the ones that don't. I just decided. <laughs> and so most of us opt on no. There's another reason why there's some confusion about this matter. If you read chapter 14, I want you, uh, the tone sounds negative. Listen as I read this negative thing against tongues. Okay, here it goes. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. Ah, you're starting to already feel it. Yeah, I'm more into prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God. So there you go. See? Although it does trouble you that you are speaking to God. Indeed, no one understands him. Yeah, that's the truth. He utters mysteries with his spirit, more like mutters. But everyone who prophesies speaks to men for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. Yes, see? Self-centered. Those tongue speakers, they're self-centered. They're about edifying themselves. But I'm into prophecy. I edify the church and others. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. I would like everyone uh, of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. You see how very quickly you can take that scripture and just twist it into, it sounds like an, it's, a, it's a negative, there, there's a negative tone. So the result is <clears throat> that some have opted out. And there's a third reason, and we're going to address that in just a minute. We don't really understand the purposes for tongues. And because of that, we just say, whatever. I, can't, you know, I can take it or leave it. I'm living quite well without them. And uh, so some of us have decided this is not a necessary gift. So we'll try to clear up these three issues in the, in, in the message as we go. So let's look at the first part. We're going to look at two categories of tongues. And that's going to clear up one of the issues. The first category we're looking at is a private grace to commune with God. The reason there's been some confusion about whether Paul thinks tongues are important like the tongue, or, or not is because he's addressing two different categories. The private grace to commune with God on the one hand and the public gift to minister to others on the other hand. So he's talking about two different categories, and depending which category he's talking about, it sounds sometimes like it's contradictory, and sometimes it sounds negative. In the first point, uh, that it's private grace to commune with God, we see Paul contrasting his personal devotional life with ministry in the church. Take a look at this, verse 2 and 19. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. Is speaking to God a good thing or a bad thing? Still good in my books. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. So, but in the church, he's contrasting now, 
I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Paul teaches that the way you use the private category and the public category are different. So, for example, here's the private common use grace where you spe- you're speaking in tongues to God. It's about you and God. Then over here, you're using the gift of tongues to minister to others. This is for God, this is for others. This is for God, this is for others. And what he's saying to them, he was correcting them in 1 Corinthians 14, because what they were doing is they were taking the purpose here, they were praying in tongues to God, and we're going to explain all that in just a minute, and they were applying it over here and using it over here. So uh, over here, the person is praying in tongues, we'll show you the benefit of it, and praying in tongues to God, and it was all fine, God doesn't need interpretation and they didn't need interpretation is fine but because they were proud that they had this gift they decided to take this gift and use it over here in a different application and this is what they would do they go in the church and they go everybody go what on earth was that gibberish Nobody to interpret that. And they were all doing it. And they were trying to show off that they could speak in tongues. They could do something. And Paul says, that's wrong. Get it out of there. That's why it sounds negative. Is it a bad thing? The answer is no. Is it a bad thing? No. Get it out of there and put it back where it belongs. And it's a good thing. Amen? That's what he's doing. So... uh, Private devotional tongues are great in the correct setting. Later we'll see that Paul addresses tongues as they relate to people in the church and to believers. Uh, But for right now, we're looking at this category in its communion with God. So let's look at three benefits very quickly. We we don't have a lot of time, but we're going to do our best. Benefit number one, it's to edify ourselves. Verse 4 says, the one who speaks in a tongue builds up who? That's right. That's right in this category over here. The fellowship of uh, other believers. Now, let me ask you this question. Do the scriptures teach us that the church, uh, the fellowship of believers builds us up? Yes or no? Yes, it does. Ephesians chapter, uh, Ephesians chapter 4 talks about that. And uh, that we need each other. And the gifts are used to building each other up. And we talked about that in message number one. All right? That's why in Hebrews the writer says, Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as as a matter of some is. Okay? Don't forsake it because you need it for being built up. I can predict 100% a person who walks out of the fellowship of believers and just takes his Bible and goes into the bush and has his worship there is somebody who's going to die spiritually. Every time, 100%. God says one of the ways we get built up is with the body. Now, let me ask you this question. If you just go to church and you never read your Bible, will that work? Yes or no? No, that won't work either. So, the, so, the, so what we're finding here is it's not an either or, it's a what? Both and. We need both. We need the word of God and we need the fellowship of other believers. Yes, yes or no? Yes, you're absolutely correct. Did you know the scripture, what we just read is, there's a third way we get built up and edified, and that is through, uh, through uh, this matter of, of tongues. 
Uh, that's what it says, right alongside the, those two. Jude 1, said, or verse 20 says, But you, my dear friends, must build yourselves up on the foundation of your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Now, let me explain that. If you go out west, and let's say you dr- drive out to Kamloops, and uh, from Kamloops, you can take the Coquihalla and take the fast route uh, down to the lower mainland, or you can, you can take uh, the Fraser Canyon, the old route, old number one, and you can go that way. I like to take that way if I'm not in a hurry because it's more scenic and you follow the Fraser River and all that kind of stuff. Now, the area around Kamloops is very arid and dry, almost desert-like in some places, particularly in certain times of the year, correct? And uh, when they get a little bit of rain, a little bit of rain comes down and you get a little bit of green here and there. It's patchy and stuff. But right along the river and the streams and the rivers that feed the Fraser, it's really green, And the only way they get green on all the hills around Kamloops there is with extensive irrigation, and they do it. I think that's a good picture of edifying. The river is building up or edifying the land. You see that? Life comes to anything that is close to the river and the streams. And though some things can exist, some of the grasses and some of the trees and stuff can exist for a bit away from the river, not so good, right? A little bit, but if you really want to get lush and green and built up, you got to be planted by the river. It's a good picture of edifying. Now, take a look what the scriptures say about the river. He who believes in me, as the scriptures have said, out out of his heart will flow what? Rivers of living water. By, but this he spoke concerning the Spirit whom those believing in him would receive. Those, when when uh, he gives us the Spirit, he said rivers of water could be flowing through us. So here's the key. Through, uh, we connect to God through our Spirit. Now we can, communicate, uh, we can commune with God to an extent, but through our soul, you know, the mind, the intellect, and the emotions, and the will, so we, we can do that. But when our soul is in charge, and we've talked about this in messages before, the spirit is supposed to be over the soul, right? When we are doing that, it's a little like, it's a little like being the grasses or the trees in Kamloops away from the river. You get a little bit of rain, and you get a little bit of a nourishment, but if you really want to grow as a tree and you're up on the hill, you need irrigation, you need a pipeline straight from the Fraser straight to your root. Amen? Does that make sense? That's precisely what God has done with us. He has said, okay, I'm going to give you a way that you can connect directly to the river. And that that direct connection to the river, not through your intellect, you can get a little bit there in your emotion stuff, but the direct connect is through your spirit by tongues. That's how you get the direct connect. And then you can really be built, you can really be built up. So when you pray in tongues, your spirit is directly connected to and comes in contact with the spirit of life, which builds up just like a refreshing river. Let me give you an example of that in my, my own personal life. Um, I was, I, was, I was having a, a, from time to time, my schedule gets so heavy, and if I just carry that on really long, you know, physically, it happens to you too, physically, emotionally, everything in you just starts to wind down. 
And I was in one of those, one of those weeks some time ago, and that was, it was worship time, and I was in the third row right at the, right at the end there. And I was waiting to preach. I was going to preach that weekend. And I said, God, I'm so tired. I have nothing left in me. There's just, the emotion isn't there. The joy isn't there. Uh, I'm just, I'm just tired. I can't even work it up. I mean, I was in the word. Uh, there wasn't sin in my life that I hadn't confessed. Um, I was going to church. I was fellowshiping with believers. I was in a cell. I was all those things. And I said, God, I'm so tired. And I said, these people came here to get something. And if you don't do something and help me, it doesn't matter what's on this page. It doesn't matter. There's no life in it. And they're going to go away starved. And I said, God, you've got to build me up. I, I need to be built up. And all this thought comes across my head. Switch to your prayer language. I said, oh, yes, that's right. So we were in praise and we were in worship. The team was leading us. For 15 minutes, I switched over. And I know others of you do the same thing, doing praise and worship and stuff. I started praying in my, in my prayer language, in, my to- in tongues. And I, I was praying. And slowly, over 15 minutes, all at once, the whole thing reversed. And energy started to come back into my body, into my emotions, my will, every aspect. Of joy came back, power, strength. And all at once I was energized. And it was like I had to come up here and be careful in controlling my voice because I wanted to push too hard. And then I lose my voice. Because there was so much pumping in me. And nobody could tell, and I couldn't tell, that just 15 minutes earlier I was dead. I was wasted. And suddenly that, just a direct line, just a connection, and boom, I had it again. Isn't that a wonderful provision? Here, I want you to, I want to apply it in a different way. You say, well, I don't preach, so I don't need that. (laughs) Let's say God allows you to go through a period of suffering for 10 years. What if you're a Joni Erickson Tata, quadriplegic for life? And God chooses, in your case, to minister through you by allowing you to be on display of of his grace in sustaining you as she has. And she's ministered to thousands and thousands and thousands because of it. Many have turned to Christ because of her. Don't you think it would get tiring after a while? Living like that, how could you? How, how could you do it? Or you, you know, and, and maybe you're facing some disease or something. Perhaps you've been chasing a wayward son or daughter for ten or fifteen, twenty years. You've been praying and praying, and you're flagging. Your arms are getting tired, and you're drooping. Or maybe you're facing temptations, and the enemy is warring against you, and it's year after year, and you're wearing down. Don't you think you need something to help you keep going? I see so many Christians who quit finally. They've been in the Word, they go to church, but they don't have this direct connect. And there's no need to do that. He's given us a, he's given us a way to connect. Don't you think that's a wonderful, wonderful provision from God? What a good gift, what a good father. He knew we'd need it. And then I'm thinking of benefit number two to unveil mysteries. In 1 Corinthians 14, 2, it says, For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not know that he uh, does not speak to men, but to God. Indeed, no one understands him. He utters mysteries with his spirit. Now, mystery there means a former secret now revealed. And uh, 
Uh, but we, in, in chapter 2, Paul says, We speak the wisdom or counsel of God in a mystery, that we might know these, the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Now, you can go home and meditate on that. But I'm going to just cut to the chase because of time right now. And I'm going to keep moving on and talk about this. The wisdom or counsel of God is often a mystery to the natural mind. However, a person can draw out that counsel or wisdom by connecting to his mind directly to the river of the Spirit through tongues. Are there things that you can learn from God through your intellect? And the answer is yes. But there are times when your intellect is limited and if you're going to want to go beyond that, you're going to need the direct connect. You're going to need it. And I'll, I'll, uh, This is how John received the revelation of the end times. In the Lord's day, I was in the Spirit. Where was he? In the Spirit. How do you think he got there? Direct connect. We can pray in the Spirit, Paul taught us. And I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet which said, write on the scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And we got the vision of the revelation of Jesus Christ, the end times, and what's going to happen because of it. Perhaps you can't grasp the meaning of a, a text in Scripture. Ask in tongues. I did that for part of this message. I just couldn't quite get a handle on it. On, on an aspect of it. And I said, Lord, I know what you're saying, but I don't, I, I, I need an illustration. I need a way of saying it that's going to become crystal clear. And so I prayed in tongues for 30 minutes. And all at once, verses started bubbling up into my intellect from the spirit down into the soul. And uh, thoughts, and I took out a red marker, went to my whiteboard, cleaned it off and started writing. And then I made lines like this. And then I went and I took some of it and stuck it in my notes. We have that wonderful provision. Isn't that an amazing provision? Uh, or you may be, uh, uh, perhaps you're ministering to a personal ministry to someone and are really stuck and you just don't know what the problem is. And you can pray in tongues like that and all at once he gives you a thought out of that. A, a, a problem from the past there to, to, uh, to clear out the logjam. Or maybe you're praying for a certain person or a situation and you just don't know how to pray for it anymore. You've been praying for somebody for 15 years and you finally reduced it to this. Dear God, please help them. Amen. I mean, you just don't know anymore what else to do because you, can't, you don't have a clue what's making them tick the way they are. And God says, no, that's not a prayer. He says, pray in tongues and I'll, I'll reveal some mystery behind the thing. I will give you some understanding. Direct connect so that you can pray my will into this situation. And you're going to see in just a moment why this is really important. That's, uh, that's what Paul was referring to in Romans 8. He said, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. That's what happens when we pray in tongues. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. That may be how Paul was able to write a good portion of his epistles. 
He would make comments like this, Colossians 2. He said, for though I am absent from you in the, help me, body, I am present with you in? What? He's present with him in what? Oh, those must be just words he's saying. No, apparently not, because, and delight to see how orderly you are and how firm your faith in Christ has been. He actually could tell from being with them in spirit what was going on. Now, wouldn't that be handy for a parent? (laughs) And as funny as that sounds, it's actually true. I I want you to think about this thought, and I know people who, uh, I, I have not experienced this particular thing that I'm saying, but I know of people who have, And I want you to think about this, how logical this is. Because, uh, for instance, I know people in this community who were in the occult. And they uh, uh, they tell me that they could see into their bedroom if they were keeping things there that they shouldn't. They could keep, they could see from another location in the region, they could keep an eye on what was happening in their bedroom so that if a parent walked in there, they knew that. They could see that in a spirit. Now, once the parents f- figured out and the Holy Spirit showed them what to do, they prayed the blood of Christ over them and a white dome came over and they couldn't see anymore. But, this is the question I want to ask. Does the enemy, is the enemy creative? Yes or no? Can he create, l- let me ask, rephrase this. Can he create things? No, he cannot. He's a counterfeiter. So wherever you see a counterfeit, you know that there's something real behind it. So if the counterfeit can do some bit, there's a much greater gift behind it that the Holy Spirit uses that's much, much better. But that's, that's another whole topic, okay? We are spirit beings and there's di- there is no distance or barriers in the realm of the Spirit of God. I've heard of instances where people could see their, uh, in their spirits what was going on elsewhere and, and that kind of thing. So through tongues, we're connected directly to the river of the Spirit and receive the understanding or life that we need to fulfill His will for us. Now, here's the question that's welling up inside of you. Why does He do it this way? I mean, why, Ray? Why couldn't you just sit on the third, stand on the third row when you're worshiping and just say, Dear God, give me strength. Why didn't He do it? I mean, why can't I just say, God, uh, I've been praying for so-and-so, help them. And he does it. Ah, we don't understand a very important critical lesson. And here's the lesson. Let's take the, let's take the feeding of the 5,000, of 5,000 men, and then there's women and children beside. Amazing day. They, uh, Jesus has been ministering all day long, and they're tired. The disciples are just tired. He's tired. The people are tired. It's the end of the day. They haven't eaten all day. The disciples prayed to Jesus. Listen to the prayer. Dear Jesus, please send the multitudes away so they can go into the villages to buy some food because they haven't eaten all day. That was their prayer. That's what they asked him. That sounds like a reasonable prayer, doesn't it? Dear Jesus, you take care of it. Jesus turns around and responds to them this way. How? You feed them. Feed them with five loaves and two fishes? Are you kidding? Well, let's step back for a moment and take a look at something. Jesus says in the Gospel of John, in numerous cross-references that I looked at, he said, I do nothing. 
apart from what I see the Father doing. I judge nothing apart from what I see the Father judging. And I speak nothing other than the words that are the Father's. Those three things. So Jesus knew, in the feeding of the 5,000, he knew what the Father wanted done in this particular situation. Did he feed them every single time? Yes or no? No! Most times he didn't feed them. But in this case, he does feed them. There was a purpose in it. And one of the things that Jesus was doing with his disciples when he said, you feed them, he wasn't trying to belittle them and be arrogant and say to them, "Uh, you try, and now I'll try. (laughs) And then they tried, and they came up with five loaves and two fishes. He tries and feeds them all and has 12 baskets left over. No, that's not what he's doing. He's trying to demonstrate to them that when you know what the Father wants, and his plan, and you do it in the author- by the authority of Jesus Christ, and you, have, you do it in the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, then you can feed 5,000 too. That's what he's trying to teach them. And they didn't get the lesson that day. They failed it. But by the time Jesus left, they had figured it out. And we know that. For example, uh, Peter and John are going up to the temple... And uh, day after day, when they would go to pray in the temple at the three o'clock prayer meeting, they would go past uh, through the gate of, the, uh, of beautiful, uh, the beautiful gate, gate of the beautiful or whatever. And uh, there was always the same beggar, this lame beggar that we talked about last week. And one day, the Spirit obviously says to them, "The Father's plan is to heal him today." And he had a reason for that. We can't get into it right now. They got the plan. And then Peter goes to him, he says, silver and gold I don't have, but in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, that's not a formula, by the way, he was doing it by the authority of Jesus, who knew the Father's will, stand up and walk by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, you say, okay, that's, that's all cool. This is what I want you to understand. When you became a believer, now, the, uh, let, me, let me back up. When God created the earth... Did the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, were they all involved in the creative work of creation? Yes or no? Yes, they were. The Father was involved. He had a part. The Son was involved. The Scriptures tell us. And the Holy Spirit was involved. They were all doing it together. They all had a part. Is that amazing? Every day, all day long, they're always meeting together and they're coming up with new ideas and they enjoy each other's fellowship and they're doing something together. Then one day they said, we're going to redeem man who is lost. They redeemed him and every time you and I get saved, they say, would you like to join us? And we go, okay. So we join them and they say, well, we've got parts to fulfill here. Would you like a part too? Yes, I would like a part too. Well, which part, which part would you like? Well, I don't know. You tell me. Well, how about you do the enactment part? You mean the part where I hold the wand and actually pull it off? Yes, you get that part. We'll do the plan. We'll do the authority. We'll give you the authority and we'll do the empowerment. We'll take care of that side. You get to hold the wand and actually do the showy part. Thank you. This is so amazing. He wants us to be part of it. So he says to them, you feed them. Now we get to this part. Now let's go and take this application back to the whole thing of tongues. I, could have been, I, I, I can stand in, the, in my third row there and say, Jesus, please, I'm very tired. You make me strong. 
I can get something through that, like the trees that are up on the hills in Kamloops. Or he says, you feed yourself. I've given you provision and a way to do it. The plan, the authority, and the power. The means to do it. Connect. So I did, and voila. Amen? Does this make sense, church? Do you see what he's doing? He's a good God, isn't he? Oh, yeah. So he says to us, you feed yourself and then feed others by the use of the, power, the spiritual gifts that I have. All right, benefit number three. We've got to move quickly here to expand our worship. I'll do both. I will pray in the Spirit and I will pray in words I understand. I will sing in the Spirit and I will sing in words I understand. Worshippers who press toward God's heart inevitably reach a place of acknowledged limitations uh, in their words and understanding. They just don't know what to say finally. I'll tell you, when you get into worshiping with God and you love Him in your heart and you're in your office and you're at home or you're in the basement in the middle of the night and you're praying and you're worshiping and you're falling in love with in, in intimacy with Jesus Christ and you're, and you're loving Him more and more, you finally just run out of words to say. You're awesome. You're amazing. You're unbelievable. You're over the top. Uh, 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 help me. And He gives you a prayer language and poof, out it comes. And the Holy Spirit gives you a whole ream of fantastic words to say about it. Now, I want to poke a little bit of fun, okay? It's all okay. I come from a background where we didn't believe in any of this kind of stuff. I came over, you know, I was more on the kicking and screaming side. But I just love these gifts from a good father. But many of us have grown up in churches where, whoa, no way, no way, no way, no way. But you know what? Many of us grew up singing. In the churches where we didn't believe in tongues, we'd sing our favorite, one of our favorite hymns. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing. And we had no idea what we were singing. Do you know what that hymn writer was saying? A bunch of unbelievers in tongues are singing, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing. Can you believe that? That proves we don't know what we're singing. The hymn writer was saying, I don't know, I love him so much and I'm trying with my language everything I could say. I need another thousand languages so I can keep describing and falling in love with him. I want a thousand tongues. And the Holy Spirit says, Amen. That's what I gave. Maybe when we were singing that years ago in our churches, we were prophesying for this day. Amen. <laughs> Some of us would get it. That's great, me included. Well, then there's a public gift to minister to others. So there's a private communion, and there's a public gift to minister to others. Uh, it's a pri- and um, this is where not everybody has a gift. The, 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 this one, God has made a provision for all believers to, to grow in that. Just like we said about the other gifts, we said, you know. Everybody can teach to a certain level, but not everybody has a gift of teaching and everybody can lead. Not everybody has a big old gift of leadership and all these different gifts and prophesying stuff. The tongues is no different and we can all have this provision but then not have this gift where we're using it to minister to unbelievers. For example, it says in... um, uh, here's benefit one, to be an evangelistic sign to unbelievers. Tongues then are a sign not for believers but for unbelievers. And the Holy Spirit gives some the ability to speak another human language at a 
at a certain point in time because of the, of the impact it'll, ha- it'll have. And let me give you an example. There's many that I could share. I use this one at the Empower Minister's Retreat. In a church in Oregon, there was a young man who had married a Japanese girl while stationed in Japan with the armed forces, and the young couple returned to the U.S. and was doing well, except that the young woman flatly resisted her husband's Christian faith and held steadfastly to her Buddhism. One night, after an evening service, the couple was at the altar, he praying to God through Jesus Christ and she praying her Buddhist prayers. Next to them was kneeling a middle-aged woman, and as the woman began to pray out loud in tongues, suddenly the Japanese bride seized her husband's arm and said, Listen, this woman speak to me in Japanese. She said to me, You have tried Buddha, and he does you no good. Why don't you try Jesus Christ? She does not speak to me in ordinary Japanese language. No, she speaks temple Japanese and use my whole Japanese name which no one in this country knows. Not surprisingly, this Japanese woman became a Christian. Because that miraculous sign this can be used on the gift side to minister to others like that. That's what we see in Acts 2. It's Pentecost weekend. Next weekend I can hardly wait. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven when they heard this sound crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. So that is one kind. Let's go to the last benefit. To edify or build up the church. We already looked at building up and how it works. Now it's applied to the church. Paul said, I would, I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. He who prophesies is greater than he who speaks in tongues unless he interprets so that the whole church may be edified. In that case, an interpreter comes along, interprets it, and it becomes like a word of prophecy, and that's what we talked about last weekend. So now I want to wrap it up. In 2001, I came, roughly 2001, I came to the conclusion that all the gifts were here, though I'd been trained completely opposite. And I began to pursue and, and uh, God in this matter of gifts, and that's when I was learning about personal ministry and stuff. By 2004, I was asking, I, I told him that I now believed, as hard as I found it, in tongues. In April 2004, I prayed that he would give me somebody that I could talk to about this, that I could trust, that I'd be safe with. And he said, call Grace Fast. So I did. I still remember where I was. She remembers this conversation. And I told her that I'd come to the conclusion that tongues were still here. She quietly responded on the telephone, I've been praying in tongues for many years. I thought, and I hired her? (laughs) A closet tongue speaker? (laughs) She had been praying for me. And uh, so I invited her to come to my home because Fran and I had been praying about this, and we felt that we were to pursue this gift. And so in 2004, she came to our home and living room, and we were sitting there, and and she ignored me completely. She, she didn't look at me at all. She turned her body like this. Talk about body language. Turned it to Fran and said, I perceive that you are ready to receive this gift. Implying that the pastor isn't. <laughs> Made me feel great. We both tr- prayed and were hoping to pray in tongues. But not, nothing happened that night. It had nothing to do with grace. It had everything to do with what God was trying to work out. I know now what his purposes were in all of that. The following month, we were in Toronto. Uh, we were in Toronto, and uh, we, were there, we were there for a conference, but we, we met with this, this woman, Grace Chin, that I told you about last week. 
And she was praying over us in our hotel room, and not only about prophecies, but then she prayed for us, and I didn't tell you this last week, to pray in tongues. So the two of us are standing there like this in the bedroom, the bed over here, and Fran's here, and I'm here, this little uh, Malaysian woman standing there, 35 years old, and we're praying in tongues, and I'm trying really hard to squeeze something out of me. Nothing's coming. All at once, I hear out of my right ear something I've never heard before, and I, I look, and it's Fran. She's, she's praying in tongues. She's standing there, and I'm going, wow, this is, this is so neat. And I went, yes, one of us got it. It's got to come over now. <laughs> and I prayed, and I prayed, and every, finally we all got tired, and nothing happened to me. And, but I was excited. I threw my arms around her. I said, yes, you can pray in tongues. That's so cool, honey. I'm so happy. And uh, in September, and, but here, uh, two tries, nothing for Ray. Haves and have-nots. It was September, and we were at a conference in Baton Rouge, and it was Sunday morning. And the last, uh, we were going to be leaving at noon, and, and this was in a, in, in a place where they were predominantly charismatic. We were there to learn something else, but the, this was predominantly charismatic. And the guy who was preaching was preaching on the Holy Spirit. And he was pumped, 70 years old, and he was jumping around. He was so pumped, and I just said, God, get him to the conclusion. I want it. I want it. I want to try it again. So we got to, got to the conclusion he had an altar call. Of course, he was preaching to the choir. They, had, they all spoke in tongues. They couldn't believe it when Fran and I just grabbed our, each other and we almost ran to the front. We were all by ourselves, a few hundred people. They all got it. And then there's this weird couple there that didn't have it. That's what they're thinking. They were very kind and gracious, actually. Got to the front there and they're singing and this guy comes to me and and, well, Fran had a prayer language already, and she got tired of waiting. She finally went and sat down. That left me by myself, <laughs> all by myself with hundreds of people watching. And, and they were singing, and I said, sing loud, sing loud. And this guy's talking to me, and he's saying, uh, he's trying to encourage me, and I, uh, nothing, uh, nothing's happening. And I'm going, oh, no, I'm, I'm going to go home at strike three. I tried it. nothing again. And just then the thought well, what's kind of rolling around in your head? Well, it's three syllables, but that's ridiculous. And uh, just this ur- urging, say the, he, and this guy would say, say what's ever in your heart. Just say it out. I'm thinking, well, y- you'll never believe what's in my heart. So here goes. Talk, talk, tick. <laughs> talk, talk, tick. <laughs> talk, tick, talk. Tick, talk, talk. <laughs> tick, talk, tick. Talk, tick, tick. Tick, talk, talk. Talk, tick, tick. Tick, talk, tick, tick. Talk, talk, talk. Tick, 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 talk, talk, talk. <laughs> All of a sudden I'm thinking, I'm, I'm praying in tongues. Talk, talk, tick. Three syllables, two of them are the same. Talk, talk, tick. <laughs> I was so excited. I got it. I ran back to my seat, put my arm around my wife. I said, I pray in tongues. She said, you do? Yeah, I got it. She said, well, what does it sound like? Talk, talk, tick. She goes, that's nice, honey. So I went home. I started practicing with my syllable. Two syllables. Three Four, and I kept praying like that, and of course my prayer language has grown. 2008, fast forward, February, Empower. 
last session, teaching on the, on the tongues and then giving people a chance to get involved. And uh, right at the end, a few people had got a gift of tongues and a couple of them had got, well, a bunch of them actually, and then, and then a few of them, a uh, gift of interpretation, I found out Fallon Heidebrecht walks up to me right at the end of the session's over. Everybody's dismissed. She comes running up to me and she's grinning from ear to ear. She said, Pastor, do you want to know what talk, talk, tick means? I have an interpretation for it. I said, you can interpret? She said, yeah, I just received the gift of interpretation. I, kn- I knew instantly what you said. I said, well, what did it mean? What does it mean? She said, you got it. And, and the Holy Spirit, in a clever move of humor and love, said, the poor guy's been trying three times. He's pursuing me with all his heart. And he comes forward in front of everybody and humbles himself and says, please, God. And the Spirit speaks to me and says, you got it. And that was it. And of course, it's grown since that. And I don't pray, you got it, you got it, you got it. <laughs> I've now gone beyond that. I had it, I had it, I had it. Parameters. Very quickly, the parameters. Paul's principles and rules for orderliness. We've got to stay in the green. And the first one is this. There's two of them. Proof of Holy Spirit fullness is fruit, not tongues. Though tongues often accompanied baptism. 1 Corinthians 13 says, If I speak in the tongue of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm only a resounding what? Gong or clanging, clanging cymbal. I'm a gong show. The proof of the Holy Spirit is fullness uh, and his fullness is the fruit of the Spirit, not the gifts of the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And the second one is tongues should not be forbidden. He says, but if anyone is ignorant, let him be ignorant. Therefore, brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy and do not forbid to speak in tongues. And there's our parameters for this particular gift. And if we work within the, the, those parameters... We're going to be working in the green here at Southland. So we're not going to walk around and say, I have a gift of tongues, so I'm full of the Holy Spirit. Uh, By the way, do you speak in tongues? Oh, you don't. Oh. Not full of the Spirit. We're not going there. Amen? And we're not going to forbid people from speaking in tongues. We're going to pursue his gifts. The next empower dates, you have them up on your screen where you can grow in this, where we talk about it more, but where you can also begin to practice and receive this. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Father, thank you by your spirit for your wonderful provisions to us. We love you and we praise you and thank you for the way you explain things to us and the way you lead us gently. Bless this congregation this day, this week, as we move forward in you. In Jesus' name, amen.